First COVAX Vaccines in Africa, Fair and Equitable? The issue of equal vaccine distribution is the greatest moral test facing of the global community. A strongly unequal distribution increases contagion in the countries that receive them in lesser or no quantity, and this favors the emergence of new mutations. The impact on the consequent spreading of the infection could jeopardize the effect of the vaccination policies of the richest countries. Almost three months after the first vaccinations in the UK, there was very good news for Africa that yesterday Sudan received its first delivery of 900,000 doses. This was coordinated by UNICEF in the framework of the COVAX program. Additional good news is the announcement that tomorrow Uganda will receive its first batch of 854,000 doses, which are also part of the 3.5 million it is expecting to receive in the framework of that program. This good and long-awaited news does not allow the unequal supply of vaccines to put be swept under the rug, which is mainly a consequence of hoarding by the richest countries, the policy of the pharmaceutical firms, and of a weakness of countries which does not affect only the lowest-income nations. In her viral web intervention at the European Parliament, Ms. Manon Aubrey extended the accusation of weakness to the European Union and to her president, Ms. Ursula van Leyden, and called the attention to the too many unknown clauses of the vaccine contracts. There have been several requests to suspend the intellectual property rights IPRs of the vaccines, at least while the COVID-19 pandemic continues. The competent international organization for this matter is the World Trade Organization WTO which in the meeting of its General Council and its committees, scheduled for March 1st 5 is supposed to make a decision on the proposal of India and South Africa that patents and other IPRs on drugs, diagnostic tests, and vaccines against COVID-19 be suspended for the duration of the pandemic. This proposal received support from the World Health Organization WHO and by Médecins Sans Frontières MSF, whose international president, Mr. Christos Christou, has requested the support of the President of the European Union and of the Italian Prime Minister, Mr. Mario Draghi, in order to have the proposal approved. The identification of the addressees was not accidental. Indeed, the European countries constitute the large majority of the minority of the WTO member states opposing the measure. At the time of writing, the conclusion of the WTO meeting is not yet known, but this does not make any less timely an analysis of the general aspects of the issue and of the situation on two continents Africa and Latin America that badly need a change of policy and vaccine distribution. A WTO decision might appear to be unnecessary. There are other instruments that might allow, at least at a national level, such a decision as sometimes has occurred in the past. It is not so, for reasons that include the effectiveness of national measures, the unique character of the geographic diffusion and gravity of this pandemic and several others broader in their scope. The two core questions are. Is the principle that health is a public good of higher category than the commercial interests of the pharmaceutical companies? Does this give the states the right of regulating this matter? Posing these questions, one does not deny the importance of what pharmaceutical companies have done. Their action allowed the extraordinary result of having safely approved vaccines in less than one year. However, it should not be forgotten that they received very significant public funding and economic commitment. In some cases, like in Israel and the UAE, there was also support for the testing of the vaccines. Financing and collaborating countries received these preemption rights with the exclusion of any co-participation in IPRs. 
WTO had already the opportunity to consider the proposal at the December meeting of its General Council. The proposal, despite counting with the support of a majority of the 164 member states, did not reach the threshold for approval. The most that majority could obtain were generic statements, such as that the instrument of the Advance Market Commitments AMCs is not exempt of critics on ethical and medical efficacy grounds for distorting vaccine distribution on the basis of financial capacity, rather than on medical grounds, and the recognition that these concerns reflected in statements by some WTO members. Actually, MSF, besides referring to shared ethical principles, highlights additional reasons that justify an enlargement of the vaccine production. Vaccine function is not only to protect from a potential infection. A strongly unequal distribution, as it happens to be the case, increases contagion in the countries that receive them in lesser or no quantity, and this favors the emergence of new mutations. Their geographical control is impossible, as shown by the experience of migrations from Africa to Italy and Spain through the Mediterranean Sea. The impact on the consequent spreading of the infection could jeopardize the effect of the vaccination policies of the richest countries. Some politicians like to stress that it is illegal. And so, what? It is a fact that as many others is not unknown to the richest countries. However, these countries seem to prefer to rely on a free market that allows them to secure the necessary doses, and their leaders often preferred to make commitments of financial support to acquire vaccines that, at least until now, did not arrive, or to suggest sending surplus vaccines to lower resource countries instead of declaring loudly that the decision makers for public goods are the states. Pharmaceutical firms claim that sharing of know-how is impossible. This is false. Such a sharing occurred in countries like India, Brazil, Argentina, and Mexico. Other countries that would have the technical capacity needed to participate in the production have seen their request to buy, we repeat to buy, the rights ignored. This happened in the case of the Dominican Republic. This country has a high-level biotechnology center, which, as confirmed by the president of the Conference of University Rectors, has the scientific and technical capacity of producing vaccines. Last August, the president of the republic, Mr. Luis Abinader, asked one major producer firm to negotiate not only the buying of vaccines but also the rights of production. The request was ignored. The short vision of the richest countries is not only proved by their neglecting of the epidemiological risks of a policy where there are have and have not countries. Possibly for reasons of internal policy, the goal of these countries is to reach, each of them individually, herd immunity as soon as possible through a vigorous campaign of vaccinations. Possible anticipations of the expected achievement date are announced with pride, even if accompanied by statements that the pandemic must be defeated everywhere because, as the Spanish president, Mr. Pedro Sanchez, said in the Abu Dhabi G20 summit, we will not be safe until everyone is safe. It has been ignored that a study, commissioned by the International Chamber of Commerce ICC, estimates that if the richest countries succeed completing the vaccination of their populations in the first half of the year, Whereas, by then, poor countries have only achieved a marginal vaccination, the economic consequence would be scarring, a loss of over $9,000 billion. This loss will significantly affect rich countries which should face the market contraction of poor countries and severe effects on the chain production due to the decrease in having their demand for raw materials, parts, and components satisfied. 
the geopolitical impact can of course be judged differently, depending on the country. The production hoarding by several Western countries, with purchases and purchase options often exceeding their needs and perhaps the production itself, may find an explanation in dynamics of domestic politics, or in uncertainties about delivery times, but certainly possible direct and indirect consequences seem to be underestimated. The shortage of Western-produced vaccines is favoring use of the Russian and Chinese vaccines. There should be little doubt that this will favor the Chinese vaccine diplomacy announced in Abu Dhabi by President Xi Jinping, we will meet our commitments, offer help and support to other developing countries, and work hard to make vaccines a public good that citizens of all countries can use and afford, and this will not favor the latest plans announced by President Biden, regarding trade competition with China. The issue of vaccine distribution is well present to the international organizations, not only as it is obvious WHO, that follows specific problems, but also the UN, whose Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, besides stating that at this critical time, vaccine equity is the greatest moral test facing the global community, has called for a global plan for vaccines that brings together scientists, vaccine manufacturers, and funders, while the Deputy Secretary General, Rosemary Di Carlo, called attention to the risk of political destabilization that would not be necessarily limited to lower-income countries. The call of the UN Secretary-General possibly had some effect to make concrete the commitments of the richest countries expressed in a number of circumstances, among which the mentioned G20 summit of last November in Abu Dhabi, and, previously, the extraordinary summit of March 26. At Abu Dhabi, the recognition by public health experts of the need for equitable vaccine distribution and of the expected long time that developing countries might have to wait before receiving the low-cost vaccines compatible with their conditions of transport and storage, reflected in verbal commitments by almost all leaders. The President of the European Union asked the G20 leaders to commit to establishing a fund of $4.5 billion. Italian Prime Minister Mr. Giuseppe Conti underscored, we must strengthen collaboration with multilateral institutions, which must be made more effective, including the strengthening of WHO, a statement of special interest, if one remembers how WHO has been instrumentally criticized by the previous U.S. administration. In the following months, these statements did not materialize until the London G7 meeting. It followed a meeting held a few days earlier by the UN Security Council, where Mexico, the country where Benito Juarez on July 16, 1867, said respect for the rights of others is peace was the spoke country of less-income countries. G7 countries confirmed their Abu Dhabi positions with some important variations, the predictable one of the U.S. whose president committed to a two-year $4 billion plan to support the COVAX program, and that of the U.K., that opened up about shipping vaccines to poor countries. However, these changes are not enough. The main problem is not money, but the availability of vaccines, and this makes interesting, and hopefully important, the British change and President Macron's proposal of donating some of the vaccines purchased by rich countries. In any case, the issue of vaccine liberalization was not touched upon, and in their absence, intermediate resource countries will continue to receive vaccines with irregular rhythms, with possible uncertainties on the application of second doses. This discussion with some long-term promising perspective should not hide the current problems which needs immediate action. On March 2, almost 270 million vaccinations have been carried out in 126 administrative units, 
10 of which are not independent countries. The countries without vaccines are still 40%. This is not the most shocking inequality. In the 10 countries with the highest number of vaccines, vaccinations are 79% of the total, a percentage that reaches 86.8% if the first 15 are considered, while the last 10 countries, having at least 1,000 vaccinations and 1 million inhabitants, have only been able to carry out 45,000 vaccinations. Their total population is of about 285 million, 85% of that of the U.S. The majority of the countries where vaccines have not yet arrived are in Africa a continent with 1.2 billion inhabitants, which, while waiting for 670 million doses from AstraZeneca, has only been able to carry out slightly more than 4 million vaccinations, 93% of which concentrated in Morocco. And the rest are limited to less than 10 countries. The first arrivals of COVAX doses were an indication that this situation will change, but at a velocity definitely lower than those observed in advanced countries during the last three months. Sometimes, the lower number of COVID-19 infections and deaths in Africa due to COVID-19 has led to minimize the importance of the pandemic, accepting structural explanations like cross-reactive herd immunity induced by exposure to other coronaviruses, younger age structure, experience acquired during the Ebola crisis, non-specific innate immune responses protective against COVID-19. However, a recent study of the causes of deaths in Lusaka between July and September showed that COVID-19 caused at least 15% of them, and out of them, 70% were at homes of people never tested. This points to a very simple explanation, insufficient data. This is certainly the case of Tanzania, whose president, Mr. John Migafuli, besides proposing improbable defenses such as vegetable smoothies, declared on June 5 that it was COVID-free. The WHO Director for Africa's invitation to prepare a vaccination plan has been rejected by the government as detrimental to national autonomy. Despite official denials, the actual diffusion of the pandemic there is confirmed by the reported deaths of several Catholic priests, and even more by its inclusion in the list of 10 countries for which the Spanish government has decreed that a quarantine must be required to passengers coming from them. This situation led to unusual diplomatic behavior. The U.S. ambassador, himself a doctor, sent a message to the Tanzanians with appropriate reminders of reality. Certainly, there are aspects of his appeal, like the comparison with the U.S. vaccination campaign success and the call to the Tanzanian government to convene its health experts and review the evidence on vaccines that may justify an eyebrows and give an insight into the way rich countries perceive the African situation. It is hard to refrain from asking, why talk about vaccines if they are not arriving? There is no way of comparing the Africa with the U.S. situation. In the U.S. with their almost 80 million vaccinations, problems discussed are along the lines of whether it is advisable to use a half dose of Moderna or whether sending Johnson & Johnson single-dose vaccines to certain locations may be counterproductive, if misinterpreted as a signal of ethnic discrimination. Others are the problems of Africa and also to a minor extent of Latin America. We cannot but agree with Salim Abdul Karim, chairman of the South African Coronavirus Advisory Committee, to me, it would be inconceivable for a country like the United States or the United Kingdom to start vaccinating low-risk young people, when here in Africa we haven't even started vaccinating health workers and the elderly. Inconceivable, perhaps, but this is what is happening. For what concerns Latin America, 
it has been able to use 6.4% of the vaccines administered. This figure might even appear satisfactory, considering that its population is 5.6% of the world's. Of course, this appreciation changes if the data is compared with that of EU and UK jointly. With a total population only slightly greater, their vaccinations are 3.3 times more numerous than in Latin America. The comparison with North America is even more merciless. The latter comparison, however, does not tell the full story. In Latin America, there are major differences, albeit less marked than in Africa. 21 Latin American and Caribbean countries have vaccinated 1/20th as many as Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, and Chile. It is true that some of those countries, especially those in the Caribbean, have small populations, but this does not apply to countries like Colombia, Ecuador, or Peru. However, it seems pertinent to note that three of the countries with the largest numbers of vaccines are precisely those where there is a domestic production of vaccines, while the fourth benefited from the immediate reaction of its government to the pandemic and from actually receiving many of the doses purchased. We conclude that a policy of suspension of IPRs is necessary and right. But what about understandable rights? The producers may claim. It may be worth estimating the commercial value of a COVID-19 vaccine and comparing it with the cost of the pandemic. We already mentioned the estimate of the ICC study. Other studies give larger estimates, but all of them are in the order of 10-15 trillion dollars. Let us assume that a producer is able to produce and sell the vaccine needed to vaccinate the whole world population. We shall refer to the costs announced by each producer, even if not all the vaccines listed have been approved by the FDA or the European authority, to those quoted in the ICC study and to data available in the web. It is to be underscored that for our use of these data, their precision is not necessary. These costs provide a rough indication of the maximum value of the know-how of each vaccine. Obviously, there are other variables to take into account, for example, the possibility that the technology of a vaccine be used for future pandemics could increase its value, whereas others, like the consideration of the financial support received, the fact that the indicated values are not a gain, the reduction of operating costs for transportation and storage, would reduce the expected gain. These are details. In any case one point is clear. The cost of the pandemic is definitely much larger than the gain that pharmaceutical companies producing COVID-19 vaccine may expect, even under the unrealistic assumption of a world vaccination that uses only their vaccine. Even in a free market logic, without using the rights the states have, it is not unconceivable to do at the level of international organizations what has been impossible to do in the Dominican Republic, and if once more the proposal of suspension of patents had failed, to find a satisfactory agreement which takes into account the different interests. This is compatible with the proposal of the UN Secretary-General of a Global Plan of Vaccination, with a production carried out by all the laboratories and firms that have a capacity to do that. If an agreement of this sort has been possible between competitors, as is the case with Merck and Johnson & Johnson, it should also be possible under the umbrella of the UN system. These are mere economic considerations. Considering the toll in human lives there are the ethical reasons for making vaccines accessible to everybody along with the declarations of country leaders and the representatives of the pharmaceutical firms. We would dare to say that it is not a dream. Perus Pirus contributed to this article.
Hashtag rebuilding travel, 